Hey, what's going on, y'all? This is Kelly Clarkson. Welcome to Miss Into Podcast, the Kelly Clarkson fan podcast. The very first podcast dedicated to the original idol, Kelly Clarkson. Here are your hosts, Jeremy and Pam. Hey, everybody, and happy holidays. This is Miss Into Podcast, the Kelly Clarkson fan podcast. I'm Jeremy. And my name is Pam, and today we are back with one of our most popular series, our album breakdown. Today... To get in the festive season, we are going to be breaking down Kelly's first Christmas album, Wrapped in Red, which just happens to be the next one on our list anyway. So it worked out perfectly. Nice how that worked out, isn't it? It's almost as if we looked at a calendar months in advance (laughs) and planned it out. Wow, what a concept. Weird. Weird. (laughs) Uh, You know, Pam, I was really excited to, to deep, deep dive into this album because I feel like especially since when Christmas comes around, uh, has been out now for a year, I have sort of been giving it all of my love and attention, and I haven't been paying as much attention to Wrapped in Red. But of course, around this time of year, we are definitely reminded of it because you can barely turn on a Christmas radio station without running into a Kelly Clarkson Christmas song. Specifically, I'm talking about Underneath the Tree. Uh, which was the massive, massive hit from this album. And at the same time, you and I have both said off air that we learned a lot about this album that we have owned for nearly 10 years now. Yeah. Uh, so we're we're going to tell you everything we discovered as well as just some random facts. But yeah, it was very bizarre that like, I guess I never looked at some of the liner notes super closely or mm-hmm. <laughs> things that maybe you and I forgot because it was 10 years ago. So it's a mixture of everything, let's be honest. Yeah, and it's been a while. I mean, I, I do listen to the album around the holiday season and sometimes outside of the holiday season, but it is rare that I listen to it front to back, all in one sitting. Exactly. And it, I mean, it's been a while since I've done that. And so in doing that, I, I listened to it all the way through a few times Uh, in preparation for today's episode. And I really did forget how much I, first of all, liked the album. It really is. For a first Christmas album, it is very, very good. And I'm not just saying that as as a homer for Kelly. It's just a really good pop Christmas album. But also, I was paying a lot more attention specifically to her intentional selections of some of the standards and covers that she put on this album and she really did knock it out of the ballpark with the songs that she chose for the record it's funny i was mainly paying attention to the originals so i'm I'm glad we did this yeah um because on this there aren't that many originals they're what like five ish i think yeah there's five isn't that much when you look if you look at like there's the we'll get more into this but the deluxe album there's 16 tracks so there's only five originals that's like that's not really a lot. Yeah. Well, and a lot of times, you know, when when people put out Christmas albums, they're not really going for the originals. You yeah. know, you want you want to hear an artist that you know and enjoy singing songs that you already know. Yeah. So it's more comforting to hear somebody singing a holiday standard that you already know the words to, but now you get to hear your favorite artists' interpretations of that. And, you know, more often than not, Many artists' originals get skipped over when it comes to Christmas albums. And, you know, there's a a lot of cases where 
artists that are very well known for their Christmas product. They may not necessarily be considered Christmas artists, but the artists that are known for their Christmas product, it's the covers that are more successful than the originals. And Kelly just happens to be a bit of an exception to that rule, much like how Mariah Carey was back in the 90s with All I Want for Christmas is You. She sort of is, Kelly, that is, is the first artist in a very long time to have a truly big, massive hit with an original Christmas song. I mean, there's flash in the pan Christmas songs that come out that, you know, you maybe they get a little bit of glow like a year or two, and then they just kind of, they go into the big pile of Christmas songs. But songs like Mariah Carey's, and I will even throw underneath the tree in there, is those songs have stayed the test of time and are now being slowly considered. I mean, Mariah Carey's is definitely already considered a classic, but I think Underneath the Tree is going to be one of those songs that ultimately gets considered to be a Christmas classic. Yeah, absolutely. And like the more time that goes on and the more time people are exposed to it, I think it's going to be almost like a household song. I don't yeah. think I don't think it's quite there yet. I think it's mm-hmm. it's definitely getting there. Give it another decade. It's it's going to be Yeah. I don't know. I I don't want to say it's going to be as massive as All I Want for Christmas is You. I I just don't think it will be, but I think it's going to be very similar caliber eventually. Yeah, I mean again, you think about how This album came out 10 years ago, and I would say it was probably either last year or the year before that, that my mother-in-law was just like, you know what? I really like that Kelly Clarkson Christmas song. And I'm thinking to myself, which one? And (laughs) she was talking about Underneath the Tree. So you have to understand that, you know, an artist's albums are, are listened to by a finite amount of people. It's, you know, the fans of that artist. A Christmas album is listened to even in a smaller sample yep. of that uh, fan base. Or and it's so, like, or it's like background music, you know, yeah. it's not people like really listening super carefully. The yeah, general, so, the general population. And so you have to remember that some of these songs, even though they've been out for nearly 10 years now, there are still people. And yes, this is, this is going to sound a little unbelievable. There are still people who are just discovering underneath the tree and other songs from wrapped in red this year, there always will be somebody who is just discovering the song. We all can't think like that because we're all too close to it. We're too big of fans, but this is the case. And every year underneath the tree becomes someone's new favorite Christmas song. Yeah. Should we, uh, should we start and take a deep dive? I think we should. We should do a deep dive into Kelly Clarkson's sixth studio album, Wrapped in Red. Uh, It was originally released in the United States on October 29th, 2013. Again, hard to believe that this album is going to be 10 years old next year. Crazy. This was sort of one of the first Kelly albums that really got a wide format release, if you know what I mean. Yeah, well, I have it broken down for you. Yes, let's hear it. It was also released internationally on October 25th, so actually mm-hmm. a couple of days beforehand. And this was in a lot of different formats. So when we mean formats, we mean CD, DVD, vinyl. There's a lot of stuff here. So yeah, this was Kelly's first album that was released on vinyl. It was released on a red vinyl uh, in November of 2013. If you go to your local record store, you go to Barnes & Noble, Target, wherever you buy records... 
99% chance you're going to find the red vinyl. However, the year after, 2014, they released a limited edition green vinyl. Only 500 copies were made, and it was sold, I believe, on Kelly's website. Um, yeah. Going back to 2013, though, there was also a deluxe CD. There was a normal CD that was sold everywhere, pretty much. Yep. Deluxe CD that has uh, two additional tracks, which we'll get into in a little while, that was sold exclusively at Target. And... Um, in 2014, I think we mentioned this last week, 2014, they re-released this um, exclusively at Walmart as a CD-DVD, which included the Kelly Clarkson cautionary Christmas music tale. So, there's a lot of formats. There's a lot of versions out there with very slight varying things about, like about them. Yeah, and not to mention that uh, there was obviously the digital version. Yes. Uh, the one thing that I'm a little disappointed that they didn't do is that the vinyl editions of the album are just the standard edition. Uh, I do not believe oh. you can get. Yeah, I do not believe you can get the deluxe edition on vinyl unless I see. I don't have the green vinyl. Wait, I do. Let me look. You are correct. It does not have the two additional bonus tracks that you find on the deluxe CD. Yeah, so if you have a vinyl, red or green, and I would, I mean, I don't know if they're still selling. I, I, I mean, I bought this this vinyl in 2013, so I haven't purchased Wrapped in Red on vinyl since. Um, so I don't know if the vinyls are still red or if maybe they've changed them to the regular standard black at this point. Oh, I don't know. I just, I thought they were all red, but. I would yeah, imagine I, they might all be red. If anyone's bought it in the last few years, like less than five years, let us know. Cause- yeah. But either way, if you buy it on vinyl, you do just get the standard edition, unfortunately, uh, so you don't get the two bonus tracks. But, I mean, look, beggars can't be choosers. You're still getting a really great album on vinyl. And I forgot, honestly, I forgot that Wrapped in Red was the first Kelly album to come out on vinyl because I had purchased on eBay a couple of, like, DJ, like, club DJ vinyls of Kelly's. It had like I mean there was like some uh, remixes of Walk Away and Since You've Been Gone and and uh, Hazel Eyes and a couple of the big songs from Breakaway. Those were on some available like DJ vinyls that I had, and so I was like, oh yeah, sure, I've got Kelly Clarkson on vinyl. But this is the first true album Commercial. to come out. Yes, commercial release. Yes. Um. So anyway, this album was produced by Greg Kirsten, who Kelly had worked with previously on the Stronger album, mm-hmm. and he studied jazz, and I feel like a lot of that was absolutely incorporated and influenced on this album. Oh, absolutely. I'm so happy about. Yeah. Um, it debuted on the Billboard 200 chart at number three, and it was also, it peaked on the Billboard Top Holiday Albums at number one. Now, it was yes. on both of those charts in the top 10 for nine weeks, which is the whole Christmas season, pretty much. Yeah. That's, that's incredible. And actually, this is a big accomplishment for Kelly because that is longer than any other Kelly Clarkson album has been in the top 10. Think about that. So this, you could argue, I mean, yes, you're going to get your breakaway fans and your stronger fans, but you could argue that Wrapped in Red is among Kelly's most successful albums of all time. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I see people out there who are like, I don't count this as one of her studio albums. I'm like, but it, 
it is. It it's is. Not, it's it's it considered is. an album. It's an album. I mean, it's not original, not fully originals, but like you can't ignore it, you know? Yeah. Um, anyway, um, it was the best selling Christmas album in the US in 2013. And it was the second most pop, uh, second best selling in Canada as well. So yeah. that's just, that makes me so happy and so proud of her. And it was certified platinum, which means a million units shipped in the United States. Uh, it was certified platinum by December of 2013, wow. which, you know, again, in the streaming age, even though, you know, the streaming age was pretty young still in 2013, that's still a good amount of units to ship out in just a couple of months for a Christmas album. So it was a very quick climb uh, to platinum status for this album. Absolutely. Um so some things that I learned uh, were that um, she did all the background vocals on this. Yeah, it was kind of a new thing for her. Uh, Greg Kirsten wanted her to kind of try it out and see how it would go. And of course, we now know that Kelly is well known uh, for doing her own background vocals on some of her albums. I think now that uh, she and uh, and Jesse Collins have got uh, a stronger friendship and, and working relationship uh, she wants Jesse to do more of the background vocals. So I think that, you know, when you see the latter albums uh, like Meaning of Life, uh, even when Christmas comes around and the new record that's coming out next year, you're going to see a lot more of Jesse involved with the background vocals. But don't be surprised if you see Kelly's name uh, under the background vocal credits as well. Yeah, there are a couple tracks and I'll elaborate a bit more once we go track by track, but there are a few tracks in particular that I almost have a hard time believing that it's Kelly because it sounds nothing like her. Yeah. But then you have to remember that like production is a thing, so they can mm-hmm. always change things to fit the sound and the vibe of the song. But that was one, something I did not know. I did not know that she did all the background vocals on the, this album and it was just her. I had no idea. One of the things that I learned about the album was that, uh, and, and this goes back to some of our recent conversations, uh, specifically our recent conversation with Jason, about when they recorded the Kelly Oki album, you know, the band all got together in one studio and they kind of laid everything down and then Kelly went to another studio and did the same thing. They kind of did the same thing for this album, only they weren't sort of across town or down the hall from where the vocals are recorded the vocals for the album were all recorded in Nashville because you have to remember this is 2012, 2013 when Kelly records this record. And this is at the height of her living in Nashville. This is her engagement time to Brandon and also uh, essentially the time when they get married. So she is entrenched in Nashville. So she records all of the vocals there. All of the instrumentals are recorded by Greg Kirsten in Los Angeles. So, He and, you know, the various players. I mean, another thing, too, to remember is when you listen to this album, Greg Kirsten plays, I would say, 90% of the instruments on this album. There are a few songs. Yeah, there's a few songs where, you know, he brings in, you know, a guest musician. There's a couple where there's an actual orchestra. But for the most part, the record is being played by Greg. It's like Greg Kirsten featuring Kelly Clarkson. Uh, for the most part on this album. And he's a wizard. That, he really is. I mean, he is an incredible pop producer. I mean, he has worked with some of the biggest names. He's got some massive hits to his credit. And this was 
this was one of the first albums he's ever produced. He's yeah. only done a few. He's produced a lot of music, but this was only one of the first albums, which is incredible that it turned yeah. out so good. It really is. And, you know, Pam said near uh, the beginning of our episode that Greg was very influenced by jazz music. And you can definitely see it. I mean, he even credits uh, Vince Guaraldi's Charlie Brown Christmas album as a huge influence for him, uh, as well as Phil Spector. And I'm going to get into a little nugget about Phil Spector here in just a second. Now, as far as what Kelly was thinking when she came into this Christmas album was she went and listened specifically to three albums. She listened to the soundtrack album to White Christmas, which came out in the 1950s. She went and listened to Mariah Carey's Merry Christmas album from 1993, I believe. And then she went and listened to Merry Christmas to You by Reba McIntyre. These were the three albums that sort of built the foundation for how Kelly wanted her Christmas album to sound. So you've got, you know, one sort of older standard album that Kelly listened to. And then you've got a couple of newer, more contemporary albums that she listens to. Meanwhile, Greg Kirsten's over here listening to a Charlie Brown Christmas, which, you know, again, goes back to the 50s, I believe. And you've got a Phil Spector album, which is in the 60s. And so you've got two very different kind of styles that are coming in. And I think that those two styles put together really, really made for an excellent album. Yeah, she described the vibe of the album as a combination of three genres, jazz, country, and Memphis soul, which I agree. I would also definitely put in a bit pop as well, obviously, but I think those yeah. are three very three very accurate genres. Yeah. Uh, going back to the Phil Spector thing, uh, you're going to hear us talk about this during this album breakdown, and we've also talked about it in the past, both with just our general conversation and in some interviews with band members, there is a concept called wall of sound and it is an incredible audio achievement uh, that was made possible by Phil Spector. And I know we've kind of talked about it a lot and we've never really explained it. So if you'll indulge me, Pam, for yeah. like two minutes, Go for I want to talk a little bit about wall of sound and what that actually means, because it changed the sound of music as we know it, and especially, especially when it comes to Christmas albums. So Phil Spector, weird guy, kind of a shady <laughs> dude. We won't talk about his yeah. like personal life, but as a, a an artist and as a musician, he was an, considered an absolute genius. He produced some of the biggest artists of the 50s and the 60s and the 70s, like the Beatles and the Beach Boys. And he wanted to come up with a way to really push the limits to jukeboxes and radios, which, you know, you have to remember back in the, the 60s, jukeboxes and radios, they didn't have the kind of sound that we have now. And so he wants to take what he has to work with when it comes to the speakers of the day, and he wants to push those things to their absolute limit. He wants to see how he can get the most rich and full sound out of those speakers without the enjoyment of the technology that we have today. And so he came up with this whole concept called the wall of sound. And what it is, is that he will take large ensembles of musicians and he will have them all play their parts. And sometimes he will double or triple the sounds from particular instruments. So he'll have somebody playing a guitar 
and then he'll have them go back and replay again and maybe replay a third time. And then he layers everything right on top of each other. So it gives it this different kind of sound that you just simply cannot get with one pass on a guitar. So when you add that all together, it gives it this, this kind of fatter, like richer sound. And then on top of that, he'll also go through and have people play the exact same notes and the exact same parts on different kinds of instruments. So he might do like an acoustic piano or like a harpsichord or an electric piano and he will have them play the same notes, bring it all together, and it's this sound that you just simply cannot make with one single instrument. And so if you remember our conversation with Jason a couple of weeks ago, he talked about how some of the songs on When Christmas Comes Around, um, like Santa Can't You Hear Me, have this layering effect. And he said that they ended up doing 64 layers of vocals alone. I mean, I think, Pam, you were the one that said, you know, I, you'd hate to look at his tracks on his yeah, program yeah. with how much was going on. Because especially, you know, I think I think what also makes the creation of Wall sound so incredible was, you know, keep in mind, back in the 60s, you didn't have Pro Tools. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was a lot of just like tracks manual, you know, like. I mean, they were doing it on tape. On doing, tape, exactly. Yeah. Like, it's mind-boggling so now producers are have a major advantage I mean, it's still a difficult feat don't get me wrong but they have a mm-hmm. major advantage now that they have the technology that they can do 60 tracks yeah it was nearly impossible back then yeah i mean incredibly difficult to pull off and that's why it was it was kind of rarely used and only used in special occasions and now you know, you can sort of pull off that effect with just about any yeah. sound or song that you want. And it's a it's a little more widely used, although I will say it is still I don't want to say rare, but it is not taken advantage of by every single artist and every Which single producer. Good. You know what? I'm glad because the more you use it, the less special it becomes. Yeah. And it's it's not used on every single track on this particular album. We'll point out the ones that it's definitely used and it's definitely used on when Christmas comes around, but again, not on every single song because it would become, I think a little overwhelming and overdone if you were to use that technique on every single song. Yeah. Because it really, it really stands out. So it makes the ones that have it even that more special. Yep. Epic. All right. Should we get in to Let, let's get into each individual song here on wrapped in red. All right. So the album starts with the title track, Wrapped in Red. It was written by Kelly Aben Eubanks, Ashley Arison, and Shane McAnally. So that is just like the power team. Oh my god. That's an gosh. all-star team to start off your album when it comes to, I mean, especially people who are familiar with Kelly. I mean, yes, that's a that's a great writing team. Insane. Um, and this was inspired by the movie Love Actually. Yeah. Which is, you know, it's a little full circle because, you know, 10 years prior to the song. Her song, The Trouble with Love Is, was in Love Actually. Yeah, it's it's all inspired by the scene between Mark and Juliet where Mark is confessing his love for Juliet despite the fact that she just got married to his best friend Peter. So he comes to the door. He holds up these signs quietly while, you know, a little boombox of carolers is singing. And the signs, you know, say how much he what basically what he feels about her knowing that they can't be together and 
it's sort of, you know, one of the the sweeter moments of that movie, which I can't believe that movie is also turning 20 years old uh, this next year. So I love the fact that she based a song off of this one scene and it makes it for a the perfect backdrop for a Christmas song. Yeah. So this I didn't realize this actually uses Wall of Sound. It does. I had no idea. And then because I mean, I've heard the song a ton, but it just it didn't stand out in that particular way. I'm like, sure, of course, underneath the tree uses it, but I didn't know about this one. Yeah. So I really had to listen for it and it made total sense. And I think what I love most about this song, though, is that they kept in a lot of her voice breaks. And like, mm-hmm. it just made it so much. I love, you know, even though it, the song has a lot of bells and whistles, her voice doesn't. And I think that it really brought out the lyrics a lot more. Totally agree. Yeah. This is another one of those uh, songs, even though this is the first song on the album, but this is one of the examples on the album where Greg Kirsten plays every single instrument uh, in this song. So it is literally Greg and Kelly, and that's it on this song. So this song did actually pretty well when it came out um, in 2013. It, uh, it, 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 it peaked on the Billboard U.S. Ad- uh, adult contemporary chart at number two, which keep in mind. That's not a Christmas chart. That is just like a standard adult contemporary radio chart, I think. That's right. Which is pretty damn good. Um, And also on the holiday digital song chart for Billboard, it also peaked at number five, which, again, not too bad because this technically wasn't a single until the following year. That's right. Yeah, this is the Santa Can't You Hear Me of Wrapped in Red. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Um. This was technically the only song on the album that had an official filmed music video. That's right. It did. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Because they used the underneath the, for the underneath the tree video. They used the footage from the Christmas special. Exactly. So this video um, was actually shot by Weiss Eubanks, who many of us know as Kelly's photographer now on mm-hmm. tour on the Kelly Clarkson show. And it's very simple. It's her in a few different settings. She's decked out in red, decked out in white, and decked out in, I can never tell if it's like black, gray, or green. I don't actually know. Um, And she just looks very glam. It looks very in tune with like the photo shoot, the album art, Um, just performing. It's just her. And it's interspersed with, I think, stock footage, like old film, like old movies of children and families celebrating Christmas. Mm -hmm. It's very simple, but it's very nice. And I'm glad they didn't do anything over the top and schmaltzy. I think they did a fantastic job with this. You you really don't need a big video for this. No, you really don't. And I think it's, it's such a beautiful lead off for the album and really kind of sets the tone. I mean, it sort of says, okay, here's the theme of the album. You know, Kelly says that, you know, red is a, is a strong color and is synonymous with the holidays and red can mean a varying different kind of emotion uh, depending on the situation. And so to lead the record off with the title song, I thought was perfect. Yes. Uh, Do you have anything else to add? I got nothing else for wrapped in red. I'm excited for the next one though. Yes. The next song is the song that everyone knows and loves, hopefully underneath the tree. This was written by Kelly and Greg Kirsten. Yeah, RCA instantly recognized that Underneath the Tree could become a future classic, and they even immediately likened it to the Mariah Carey song, which is 
part of the reason why it was picked for release. Now, I don't want to give it away because we're going to talk about this a little bit later uh, in the uh, in the episode. But technically, if you want to be very particular about it, underneath the tree is the second single from the album. We'll tell you what the first single technically was from the album uh, a little bit later in the episode. But uh, yeah, this is obviously the big monster hit song of the album. This is the reason why people, I mean, they pick up the CD, they see this song is on there and they just buy the album because this could possibly go down. I would say it's definitely in the top five of Kelly Clarkson's best songs of all time. And songs that are going to stand the test of time. I mean, I think, you know, obviously, Since You've Been Gone is is up in there. I think you could say Because of You is in there. You might even make an argument for Stronger. But Underneath the Tree is going to be, you know, if there was like a Mount Rushmore of Kelly Clarkson songs, (laughs) you have to include this song. You really do. Because any song that manages to become a Christmas staple, a Christmas classic, that demands respect there are especially in contemporary music when you talk about the 80s and forward it is very rare very very rare that an artist has more than two songs or more than one song even that is considered a christmas classic i think the the one guy who's probably done it the best and maybe we'll have more than that is maybe Michael Bublé. Yeah. Because he's sort of, and he really like, he knows how to put out a Christmas album. But at the same time, a lot of his are just simply covers of older songs that he just has a great version of. And they sort of get put into the annual rotation. As far as an original Christmas classic, this is an incredibly difficult feat. Probably one of the hardest things in music to do. And Kelly did it with the second song on her first Christmas album. It's impressive. Yeah, absolutely. So this is the prime example of Wall of Sound. It is yep. there's there are so many bells and whistles literally going on. Mm-hmm. So many layers. It's just a beast of a song. And now that I know that she's saying the background vocals for everything, I just I I honestly assumed it was another thing who like where background vocalists they come in, maybe session people. I, I didn't really think of it. I never like thought of who was doing the background vocals ever. And now I'm way more mindful of it. And some of it does not sound like her, but I it's it's really fun to kind of pinpoint where it might where it, it does sound like her and where you're like, huh, what are I wonder what they did to change it a little bit, but it's it's fantastic. The the end of the song, you can absolutely tell she did the background vocals, but yeah. for most of it, it, I had no idea. This song also includes something that I love hearing when they show up, not even just in Christmas music, but in regular pop music as well, that I think has been missing since the 1980s. It kind of fell out of favor and fashion in the 90s and the early 2000s. It's got a killer saxophone solo. Oh my God. <laughs> I love, love a good, good sax. I do. I love a good sax solo. And props to people like Katy Perry and Lady Gaga who have had big yeah. pop songs in the last, I don't know, five years, maybe 10 years that have included great saxophone solos. And it, it just fits so perfectly in here. You know, you don't you don't always think about the saxophone as being a really great Christmas song instrument. You always think of chimes and sleigh bells, but a saxophone, it just fits so perfectly 
in this particular song. And I think I really love when Kelly decides to have horns of any kind because, you know, that we've got trumpets and and other uh, horn instruments uh, later in the album. She just knows when it sounds really good to put something like that in there. And again, you know, props also to Greg Kirsten uh, for deciding to put the saxophone in there as well, because it just uh, it just sounds so good. And, and it's not even the only horn instrument in this song. I mean, there's a saxophone in there. There is a trumpet. There's a trombone. There's a flugelhorn. There's a mellophone. A what? A, what? a, a flugelhorn. A flugelhorn? <laughs> I don't even yeah. know what that is. Exactly. But hey, it's Christmas time. <laughs> Why not throw the whole kitchen sink at this song? And again, this is why this song gets such a great wall of sound sound to it. And by the way, I I have to make mention, I absolutely love the chimes in the song. The ones that are like ding, 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 ding. The ones that are at the end, I so love that so much. It just... It just gives me, and I think the reason why I love that so much is because one of my favorite movies of all time is a Christmas movie. It's a, it's a Wonderful Life, and at the end of the movie, they have the whole thing where the bell uh, is chiming at, at the very, very end of the credits of the movie. And I think every time I just hear a big bell in a in a song, it just says, "This is a Christmas song. This is Aww. a great Christmas song," and so it it, it kind of wraps it all together. And I mean, I have. No notes for this song. I mean, this this is a perfect, absolute 10 out of 10 holiday oh, classic. 11 out of 10. Um, I will read off some stats. I hope people like stats. Well, if not, I'm sorry. Um, that's so what the deep dive is for. That's what the deep dive is for. So ASCAP, which is one of the performing rights organizations. Um, how do I try to explain what those are? They're very good. That's pretty much how songwriters get paid. The people register their artists and songwriters register their songs with various performing rights organizations. That's a whole other feat. But yes, ASCAP is one. ASCAP said that this was the most popular Christmas song of the 21st century so far. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, absolutely. Um, Some Billboard stats for you. Um, On the adult contemporary chart, again, not a Christmas chart, this Peaked at number one. That is incredible. That yeah. is so exciting. Um, and in Canada, on the on their adult contemporary chart, it also peaked at number one in 2013. Um, Billboard called it the best holiday song of the year in 2013. USA Today has reported that it was the most played radio song, the new holiday songs of 2013, which I believe. Yep. yep. And it constantly recharts every year. I'm not going to read off all the charts, but that's a sign of a fantastic, successful song. If it keeps charting, people keep loving it. Yeah, our friends over at uh, Kelly Stats uh, on social media, they started kind of monitoring the streams for Underneath the Tree probably about mid-November. And, you know, it was, you know, tens of thousands a day. And then that turned into hundreds of thousands. Uh, And I I can't I should say I don't know if that's per day or per week. But either way, it was in the tens of thousands. Then it's in the hundreds of thousands. And now we're at the point where it's in the millions. I mean, for good reason, because it is the holiday classic of the 21st century. It's really interesting. Also, Kelly Stats has keeps posting on Spotify 
when if you if you go on Spotify, you can if you go down to an artist page, you can see what their ranking is, like how many streams they have. Oh, you're the a hundredth most streamed artist in the world right now on Spotify, or the five hundredth. Kelly, this time of year keeps going up and up and up. You know, oh, yeah. come come January, it'll probably go back down a bit just because it's normal. But Christmas time is her time. Like her songs get playlisted in so many things, in so many holiday playlists. Like if you go on the top Spotify play- holiday playlist, I guarantee you her songs are going to be in the first 10. Now, if I might uh, say this, and this will be my last thing for underneath the tree is I certainly hope that Kelly, you know, recognizes that this is, you know, a, a massive hit from her career, but I, I have to tread carefully here because I don't want to sound like I'm shading Mariah Carey. But I hope that she does not turn her career into this being her entire aesthetic, because I think it has been clear now in the last couple of years that Mariah Carey has recognized that she is best known now for All I Want for Christmas is You, to the point where you don't hear about Mariah Carey the other 11 months of the year. I mean, there's they're sort of the social media joke that they thaw out Mariah Carey around Thanksgiving time, and then here she comes, and she's everywhere, and then she's gone again. I mean, she played the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade this year, sang this song. So I think Mariah Carey has sort of, I don't want to say resigned, but she has understood that she gets the most mileage year after year out of her Christmas record. I mean, they... They reissue this album every year. And I don't mean like they just put it on sale. I mean, they like repackage it and now it's, you know, a new fancier. I mean, she she re-recorded All I Want for Christmas is You and put it on her second Christmas album. Oh, my I mean, Don't gosh. get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. That speaks to how massive of a hit it was. But still, like Kelly could have very easily come out with a very like sad version of Underneath the Tree and put it on When Christmas Comes Around. She didn't do that because she didn't want to do that because that you know need to the song is what it is i don't think i don't i don't think she's going to get to that place because she is you know that was already 10 years ago and i I just i she's already done so much since whether that's albums whether that's the voice whether that's the talk show like she's just there's so much exposure that i don't think it's going to get to that point i'm hoping not i mean look i think mariah carey also understands that as an elder stateswoman of the pop world, I will say. I'm not going to call Mariah Carey old, but I mean, she is an older stateswoman. She doesn't have contemporary hits on pop radio anymore. So she's going to lean into what makes her money, which is the holiday season. Like Mariah Carey cashes a fat check at the end of the holidays. I will tell you that. And she gets it. Like she understands that this is what people know her for. And I just I'm kind of hoping that Kelly doesn't get this way. And this would still be, you know, 20 years down the road because Mariah Carey's first Christmas album, I believe, turns 30 next year. So she's much further down the road and is still getting all the mileage out of that one song. So I hope Kelly continues to get mileage out of this song. I just hope that she doesn't make it the focus of her career year after year. Yeah. All right, guys, we're going to move on. The next song is Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. This is the first um, standard cover, we'll say, that has showed up on this album. Um, I mean, it's just literally like the classic, I think, 
Um, I love how old it sounds. I know that's a weird thing to say, <laughs> but I love it. It's it's so cozy and comforting, and I love that she included this. Yeah, she really did like this song. She found it really sweet, and she wanted it for this album. Um, it was originally written for the movie Meet Me in St. Louis or Meet Me in St. Louis, depending on your persuasion of how you like to say the name of the movie. <laughs> and the very first version of this song was sung by Judy Garland back in 1944. Wow. And I have to say that the Judy Garland version is my favorite version. The Judy Garland version has been in my Christmas rotation for years and years and years. And Kelly's version is is very, very good. I mean, I don't know... I don't know. I'm trying to be objective. I don't know if it's like one of the top five best versions because this is the or the if not one of the most covered Christmas songs of all time. It's definitely like in the top three. Yeah. And so there are a massive amount of versions out there. Is Kelly's version one of the best? I think so. I don't know if I would say it's top five or even or, or top three, but. Frank Sinatra has a really great version. Michael Buble, you're going to hear his name a lot in today's episode. Sam Smith has a stellar version of this song. I mean, Sam Smith's version is beautiful. And so it's a very, very good song. It's a very good first standard to present on the album. Uh, if you're going to go at some standards, some songs that you know many, many people have covered, and there are everybody has their own favorite version of, of a song. Uh, this is a good one to start with on the album. I think there are, I don't know. I feel like this is a song that like people, everyone will listen to because there are no bad versions and not that I'm aware of. It's just that classic sound. And um, I love the strings on this and like the bells. It's, I know I said this, it's just, it's kind of a time warp, the song. Mm -hmm. And I like that. She doesn't really try to modernize it too much. It, she kind of just stays true. Um, yeah. Yeah, she does. Yeah. This charted on the Billboard Holiday Digital Songs at number two. One of the things that then you'll hear, you know, Pam is going to share a lot of Billboard data as we go throughout uh, the episode today is one of the things that's really interesting about Christmas albums is that unlike a regular album, uh, let's say uh, Breakaway. So when Breakaway comes out, Radio stations are not just plucking whatever songs they like off of Breakaway and playing them on the air. It doesn't work that way with a standard album. Record labels are very strict. They're like, we want you playing this song for this period of time, and then we will let you know what the next song is that we would like for you to play. But when it comes to Christmas albums, yes, they're especially with ones that have originals on them, like Wrapped in Red and you know, uh, RCA at the time was really pushing underneath the tree. That doesn't stop Christmas music stations from just playing whatever songs they want off the album because they're all Christmas songs. They're all different. And so they'll play anything they want. So you're going to hear that a lot of these songs charted, especially on the holiday charts, because stations were just plucking whatever songs they wanted and playing them. Uh, you know, a lot of stations will will they have kind of tighter Christmas playlists, so they might have played only underneath the tree. But. Nowadays, especially further after a release of an album, people will pluck lots of different songs out of there. I mean, it's not uncommon to hear uh, Kelly's version of Every Christmas or I heard I've heard uh, Blue Christmas on satellite radio. Um, you know, you're going to hear lots of different songs because there's not that sort of 
tight grip on individual singles with a Christmas record. Right. It's not like, you know, with a lot of albums, it usually has like a maximum of like one to two years and then it's completely cycled out and people are burnt out. Christmas music is great because you really will only hear it in the public with like two months out of the year. So it's it's timeless. That's pretty much it. It is timeless. All right. The next song on our list is Run, Run, Rudolph. Now, I think I mentioned this last week. This song has varying titles depending on which artist sings it. The original by yes. Chuck Berry is Run, Rudolph, Run. But Kelly's yep. is Run, Run, Rudolph. But like, if you go and look, like I think I actually have it pulled up. Artists that have Run, Run, Rudolph as the title. I don't know if anyone cares, but I just found this bizarre. Kelly, Luke Bryan, Leonard Skinner, Los Lonely Boys, Train. Okay. Artists that have it listed as Run, Rudolph, Run. The original, Chuck Berry. Mm-hmm. Foo Fighters, Sarah Evans, um, Billy Ray Cyrus, Sheryl Crow, CeeLo Green. It just, it doesn't make sense. And I, I, <laughs> I don't know if it's just people assume that they know the title and then they're just like, oh yeah, it's called Run Run Rudolph or Run Rudolph. I don't know. It just, <laughs> it just bothers me for like metadata purposes. It yeah. really bothers me, but whatever. We're just, I'm, but- I will get over it. For the sake of this episode, we're going to call it Run Run Rudolph because well, that's, that's what it's how called. It's that's, that's what yeah. Kelly calls it. By the way, Foo Fighters and CeeLo Green, I love their versions of this song. <laughs> I I've never heard CeeLo's. I haven't heard it. Oh his. my gosh. It's, oh, CeeLo has a fun Christmas album. If you get a chance, listen to CeeLo Green's Christmas album. It's a lot of fun. It's a, it's a really great record. Huh. Good to know. Um, yeah. Kelly has mentioned in the past that this was actually her favorite classic that she included on the Mm -hmm. album, which I feel like that speaks to her. It's so fun. It's so energetic. And that's literally her personality. And it's really the only like true rock and roll song on here. And I love it's a very different vibe from anything else, even the upbeat pop stuff. So I'm glad it was included on here. Yeah, and I love that the, the the interpretation that Greg and Kelly took with this song, making it a more kind of up tempo rock song. Yeah. Um. Because the original the original was written by Chuck Berry, and his version, while I think is still the ultimate version of this song, is more of a kind of a rock blues version of the song. Mm-hmm. It's it's definitely leans more blues, but his version of the song is so good that it's hard to it's it's hard to beat that version um but i really do love uh kelly's version i do have one criticism and this is this is such a first of all it's going to date me clearly um and it's also a bit of a niche kind of a of a critique about the song but the the guitar on the song was like Whenever I hear that, for some reason, and again, this is going to date me because I'm a guy in my 40s and I was a child of the late 80s, early 90s, all I can think about is Zach Morris from Saved by the oh Bell playing his guitar. <laughs> Whenever I hear that like guitar lick, I'm just like, it's Zach Morris playing Run Run Rudolph. Do you know how many people are, are going to be hearing this now? I'm going to be like, damn you, Jeremy, I can't unsee that. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but yes, uh, you know, Chuck Berry's version is is probably the most famous version of this song. Uh, it was played in Home Alone, uh, which, you know, whenever my whenever my son hears this song on the radio, he's like, oh, it's the song from Home Alone. 
regardless of who's singing it oh, at that's all. That's really cute. It is, yeah. And so I, I love that she included this. Uh, just a, a, a fun interpretation of this song. I not positive about this, but this might be one of the only songs on one of the few on here that did not chart anywhere. Yeah. The next one on our list is I have a confession about this song. It is please, com- please come home for Christmas in parentheses. Bells will be ringing until maybe, a t- I don't know, we'll say three ish years ago, two or three years ago. I didn't know this was a cover. My what? mind was blown. I was listening to Sirius XM and I heard the Eagles perform this. They didn't do the original, but they, I feel like they made it, they made it famous. Is that, yeah, that, is that I ish? Mean- ish uh i mean yes it that's a fair statement because the the song predates them by a long time yeah. but i mean it's the eagles and it's john bon jovi i mean they kind of have the two definitive versions of this song and i heard the eagles i'm like are the eagles covering kelly clarkson <laughs> yeah sorry to you um anyway aside from that this was actually the first song that kelly wanted to include on the album as far as a cover goes because her mom wanted it on here. Yeah. Which I thought was really sweet. I didn't know that until I was doing my research for this. Yeah. And Please Come Home for Christmas is another originally made as a blues song. So I, again, I love, and, and granted, a lot of Christmas music, whether people realize it or not, a lot of Christmas music has its roots in the blues. Yeah. And so it doesn't surprise me that it was originally a blues song. But I, again, I love what she has done with this song and I'll let Pam get kind of into the nitty gritty about the chart numbers and such, but Kelly's version of this song charted comparable to the John Bon Jovi and the Eagles versions of this song. And again, the, I would say it's like one and one a when it comes to the Eagles and John Bon Jovi, when they covered this song, like the Eagles version is probably the most played, the best known version of this song. And John Bon Jovi is right there. But I would say a very close number two is Kelly, uh, specifically chart wise. Yeah. Um, this would charted on the Billboard Adult Contemporary chart at number six. Again, not a Christmas chart. That's the only chart I found. I could be wrong. I might be missing something, but I don't mm-hmm. think it did any Christmas charts, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, nonetheless, I mean, it was a very successful version. This is another one of those songs that I have heard played on other Christmas music stations. Yeah. And I think maybe that could be that Christmas programmers have been, I mean, they're not dying for a new version because, you know, they have enough versions of every song to go around, but they would have been looking for another really great version of this song. And there really hasn't been one since John Bon Jovi did it back in the 90s for that very special Christmas album. And I think this is a song that it doesn't get covered a lot. It, it's it's well-known-ish. I mean, not I guess not for me, but don't go by me. I don't know my Christmas music very well, but I don't, I've never really seen a lot of other people cover this. It just kind of go like piggybacking off what you said. It's not something that a lot of people in the 21st century have ever covered. Mm-hmm. Um, now I'm kind of curious to see, please come home for Christmas. <laughs> and there's plenty of versions out there. It's just a lot of them are just, they're I'm, not, they're not exceptional. There's if, nothing special about them. If I'm looking for ones that were done in the 21st century, aside from Kelly, uh, we have Grace Potter, Adam Lambert, Leslie Odom Jr., L. King, Christina Perry, 
Oh, CeeLo did it as well. But, like, none of them are huge. Kelly's isn't huge, but it's just one of those things, like, they're nice. I don't want to say it's a filler song, but it kind of is. It's a good filler. But at the same time, you know, this is, you know, Kelly's first Christmas album. And so when you're making your first Christmas album, you have the whole of all the Christmas classics to choose from. And, you know, she picked 11 songs to cover and I would, I mean, I would put this in my top 10 of Christmas songs that I would want to put on my first Christmas album. All right. Then maybe just don't listen to me. I don't know what I'm, what I'm talking no, about. No, no, your, your, your opinion is absolutely <laughs> No, valid, I don't, but- I don't know a lot of Christmas music. So maybe this is super, yeah. maybe this is a really, really, really popular song and I'm clueless. That's very possible. I, th- I think the thing is, is that the Eagles and John Bon Jovi versions are just so loved. I mean, they are the gold standard of this song. And so I think that, again, that's why you don't hear a lot of other versions of the song, because none of them have reached that level. And I'm not saying that, you know, Kelly's is better by any stretch, because I do think that they are the dominant versions. But it's the reason you don't hear a lot of other versions is because those two are just so good. Yeah. All right. Moving on the next song, we have Every Christmas. It is the next um, original song on the album. Written by Kelly and Aben, the power writing team. We love it. It was actually the first song written for the album. Yeah, it was written about a year before the album came out because they didn't want to write Christmas songs in the summer. So they put pen to paper back in December of 2012 and came up with this. And this was what got the whole Wrapped in Red project started. So it was inspired lyrically about her life before she had met Brandon. So it's now listening to it. It's very interesting. Yeah. I will leave it at that. <laughs> um, I will leave it at that. Um, this is the only song where someone else helped on production. Not, I mean, Greg, I think worked on it. He played a lot on this, but anyway, Jason actually produced these vocals, which I was like, yeah. yay, Jason, you're included. <laughs> <laughs> and it, he did an incredible job. Now, one thing that this is another example of, ha, huh, Kelly really did the background vocals for the song. It just, it sounds so soulful, but it almost sounds like a, a choir at certain points. And it's just, it's hard to imagine that every single vocal is her. Yeah. You, you can really hear the longing in Kelly's voice, which is funny because she wrote this song while she was dating Brandon, so she she knew at this point what Christmases were like having someone special I think in her she life. Had, she had just gotten engaged. Yeah, that yeah, you're yeah. right. And so for her to go back and recall what her life was like when she wanted somebody in her life during the holiday season, I mean, it's kind of a it kind of rips your heart out a little bit because you feel for her, you know? And would this have been sung or written different differently? Uh, if she had done it before she met Brandon, I don't know. It might have sounded more like something you would hear on When Christmas Comes Around. Uh, but I think that she remembered what her life was like. But I think that a little bit of the happiness that she was feeling at the time seeped into the song and, and kept it from being almost straight depressing. Because we do know that many people deal with uh, with depression around the holidays and it can be a very sad time for a lot of people. And so 
to record a song that's like, here's how I felt at the holidays because I don't have anybody in my life. This could have gone really, really poorly, but I think that she rode that line very well. Yeah, I was. I actually made a note that like this is kind of on vibe with when Christmas comes around. There's another song, which I'm sure a lot of you can guess which one it is. That's like not really super fun. Um, mm-hmm. And I know a lot of people joke that when Christmas comes around is like her her sad Christmas album. I mean, Wrapped in Red has a lot of emotions as well, and you kind of forget about it in yeah. the midst of all the classics and the underneath the tree upbeat stuff. But there's a lot of it's a little bit of a roller coaster as well. Yeah, it's kind of the exact emotional opposite of when Christmas comes around, because, yes, when Christmas comes around does have a lot of really deeply emotional songs. It does have a couple of upbeat, happy bangers. Yeah. And like sort of you you flip it to the opposite for this album. This album is is very optimistic and happy and hopeful. But then there is a couple of songs that are like, yeah, but not for everybody, you know. Exactly. This one, I don't think this one charted. Um, but this yeah. is not something that you're going to really be hearing a lot on radio anyway. So it, it kind of makes sense. I did but, hear it, uh, on really? satellite radio. Yeah. I've heard this one on satellite radio too. It's sort of one of the deeper cuts wow. on one of like the deep cut Christmas stations. Cause I got so many different ones. Uh, but I have heard this one before and I think it was just one of those ones where I, it may have even been the Holly channel because uh, they, one. they're just looking for, you know, pop Christmas songs that are relatively new ish. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you got a Kelly Clarkson Christmas album. They've got five songs to choose from. I've heard, I would say I've heard nearly every original with the, except. I think with the exception of the two others that we still have to come, uh, those are the only two I haven't heard on Christmas radio, but every Christmas, obviously underneath the tree and wrapped in red, I've heard them. I've heard all of them. Interesting. Good to know. Yeah. All right, next is Blue Christmas, who who and it was made famous by Elvis. I think a lot of us probably recognize that. Oh yeah. Um, I love this. It's so calming. I, I it's such like a calming country. It's like a country bluesy version. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. This isn't even the first time that we've heard Kelly sing Blue Christmas, and you might remember in 2005 there was. And I don't even remember what network it was for or or what channel it was for. But there was a, a special called Christmas Calling. And Kelly did a version of Blue Christmas. And it's a really cool, soulful version of Blue Christmas. I've, I've had the MP3 for, you know, as long as I can remember. And I think it's her and Jimmy on guitar and uh, Jason on keys. And that's really it. Um, and it's a really beautiful, like soulful version of the song. And she's sitting in front of like a, you know, a little fake fireplace set. And I think she's supposed to be in like a living room or something. And it's a, it's a beautiful version. I'm not going to lie. I, I do forget that she, that she has this unwrapped in red, even though I, I very clearly said, I love it. I, it's, I always forget about it, but during my re-listen for this episode i'm like oh yeah this is really sweet i like this so i found a little bit more out about this christmas calling thing that kelly did it was a one-hour special i don't know still where this was where this was aired but it was sponsored by sony erickson and the full title of the special oh my god throwback to sony erickson right oh my god Um, but 
the whole name of the special was called Sony Erickson Christmas Calling, the soundtrack to your season. Oh, uh, and the special featured Kelly and then uh, a woman or a guy, I don't know who this is, June Sarpong. I apologize if you're a big June Sarpong fan. Uh, and then somebody named Hardfi and then JK, I believe it was a comedian. I don't know what this special was, but it featured Kelly doing Blue Christmas, which at the time, again, Kelly didn't have any, you know, she didn't have a lot of Christmas material out there. She had the two songs from the Idol uh, CD, Oh Holy Night and My Grown Up Christmas List. And then she comes out in this random special and sings Blue Christmas. So it was an early, early Christmas song that. Apparently, uh, Kelly did for some random special. Apparently, it was done over in the UK. Oh, all right. So for any of our UK listeners, feel free to tweet us if you know more about this than we do. That's a good show. Oh, my gosh. Now I'm seeing there. Now I'm finding more of the people that were involved in it. The Pussycat Dolls were in it, oh, as excellent. was the the uh, the British boy band Westlife. Oh, wow. Yeah. Aw- I love this. Yeah. Came out December of 2005 in the UK. It was shown on Channel 4. So cool. she was apparently a uh, a special guest on that and did Blue Christmas. Nice. All right. Next song. Ugh. Baby, it's cold outside. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, okay. So this features Ronnie Dunn and she Kelly had personally asked him to do this song. Now, okay. Here's my thing. I aesthetically, if that's the right word, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I love the I love the vibe of this. It's very jazzy cocktail lounge kind of calming thing yeah but i will never get over how creepy this song is for everyone not just kelly and ronnie baby it's cold outside just needs we need to stop it's it has always been creepy for as long as it's been around i don't like it i will not listen to this song i mean i did for this but like i will never go out of my way to be like "Mm." listen to baby it's cold outside like god it's just yeah the last like 10 years or so this song has really come under a lot of scrutiny there's people who are against it there are people who are for it um and i understand i get where it's all coming from Uh, i i certainly think about all of those things whenever i hear the song i can listen to the song and i can also i feel like i'm a grown-up a mature adult that i can differentiate between someone just singing a song and playing a character and real life yeah um yeah but either way um you know again kelly really wanted ronnie dunn uh, of course from brooks and dunn uh, on this song and this again goes back to about how kelly was really entrenched in nashville so i think that you know ronnie dunn might have been a lot more top of mind when it came to who she would want on this song she knew him she knows his personality she knew that he was the kind of guy who could be the smarmy dude trying to keep the lady at the party uh, versus, you know, other singers that were out there, especially in the Nashville area. Um, This was, um, this was again, you know, Kelly's in Nashville. This is fresh off of when like Kelly recorded a bunch of those country songs that we've never heard. You know, this is all very much in that sort of same time frame. but I, you know, I like it. I, I don't think that Baby It's Cold Outside is necessarily like one of the great Christmas songs. It's kind of one of the first songs that we have here on the album. There's a couple of others where you're like, 
mm, is this a Christmas song, you know, or is it just a, a song that takes place in the wintertime, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah, 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 it's cold outside, it's snowing, but there's no real, like, Christmas vibe going on with the song, you know? And I kind of, I don't care so much for when songs that maybe just have a a placement during the winter get lumped in for being Christmas music. And this is sort of one of those songs. And and maybe it's just because they're like, well, it, it's very obviously a song about the winter time. So it has to be a Christmas song. Uh, I don't know about that. Uh, so a lot of other really uh, famous people have covered this song, by the way, Dean Martin uh, probably has one of the more popular best known versions, Tom Jones, uh, Willie Nelson and Nora Jones did it together. Uh, probably the best charting version of the song, uh, or one of the best charting was that Dina Menzel did it with Michael Buble. They took that to number one on the adult contemporary charts. Brett Eldridge did it with Megan Trainer. They also got a number one adult contemporary. And this will not be the only time that Kelly does this song. She will then reprise her role in this song later on for John Legend's Christmas album, and they do the song together. Why do I have no memory of that? John maybe, Legend has a very, I, very good Christmas album. So I, I mean, I, I probably blocked it out of my head because I just don't like the song. <laughs> yeah, I no, I, I get that completely. But yeah, you know, John Legend and Kelly come back and they do their own version of this song. I like the Kelly Ronnie Dunn version better. Um, again, no shade to John Legend. I think he has a, a fantastic Christmas album. But this is just kind of the ones that's. Um, that I don't know. It just it feels better. Maybe I feel like Kelly and Ronnie have better chemistry in the song. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know why I'm looking for you know deep meaning in this, but I just I think I just prefer the their version yeah. better. This did chart on the Bill, U.S. Billboard Digital Holiday Songs. It did chart at number six. So awesome. As creepy as it is, people like it, and it always does well. Moving on to another uh, song. <laughs> This is, is this is Pam's ugh part of the album. All right, guys, the elephant in the room, Winter Dreams. We're not going to say the other part. Um, this used to be one of my favorites on the album, and now I feel guilty hearing it. But uh, it was written by Kelly, Aben, and Ashley Arison. We all know who it's about. You know, that's that. Um, written about their first Christmas together. Yep. It did not age well. Hopefully, the reprints will take the name. <laughs> oh. Kidding. I mean, I mean, look, this. It was album, for that for that time. You yeah, know? It was. Yeah. It's you know, there are there are so many cases where an artist was in a relationship with somebody and they pour their whole heart into the content of the album. You know, they they sing their praises in the liner notes. It's a it's a snapshot of a moment in time. And this is a time in Kelly's life when she was very much in love and her relationship was, I would say, you know, at one of its apexes, um, you know, Kelly and Brandon got married shortly before the wrapped in red record came out just a, a few days uh, before the album came out. And so she's deep into her engagement at this point. She's finally got a guy to spend the holidays with. In fact, I consider winter dreams to be the sequel to every Christmas. And because, that's, I've seen the comparison online. Yeah. Like it's, it's a thing. Yeah. I mean, every Christmas is life pre-Brandon. Winter Dreams is what she pictures her life being from every Christmas moving forward now that she has him. And look. I, 
You are so di- you are so diplomatic here, and I love I it. Know. And I know, and I'm like, screw that. <laughs> I know, but at the same time, like you know, there again, there are so many songs by so many artists where they were in love, and you know, they they poured everything into a song and made for a great song. Uh, for some strange reason, the one song that's coming to my mind is the song that Katy Perry did with John Mayer when they were dating, and they made a really really good song together. A song that I still love to this day, and you know, obviously the two of them aren't together anymore, but they still did something really beautiful together. And this has never been one of my favorite songs from the album. Um, ah. I, I don't know if it's just the the sort of the sweetness, the sort of the saccharine of it all. Yeah, but it was because not that I didn't want Kelly to be happy, because of course I did, but it was just like oh, you've got this guy and you're like rubbing it in our face and okay, we get it. You're in love. Okay. So that aside, now that I can set that all aside, it is a very cute, bubbly, sweet song about the holiday season and being happy with the person that you, it's a, it's a wonderful example of being happy, being married at the holidays. Uh, another thing, too, that I do want to talk about specifically with the song is that this song features a 50-piece orchestra yes, I was gonna in the background. That. Yeah. I, I was going to mention that. I, I've always, I, I really, like when this was out for a while, this was one of my top three from the album. Mm-hmm. It's just so much fun to sing, um, like just playing around with the uh, words and the, is it xylophone in the beginning? The do. I don't know what that instrument is, but like it really kind of just has an effect to kind of bring you in and you want to just hear more. Maybe that's me, but I, I adore this. I adore hearing this at Miracle on Broadway for me. It was for some reason, like this was like one of the highlights for me. Um, and it just, it's fun. So it's, it's hard for me to listen to it now, even though I really love it. Um, and this charted on the Billboard digital holiday songs chart only at number 12. Mm-hmm. So this, you know, this is this is a song that, you know, I, I wouldn't say this had to be a single, but I thought this maybe would have gotten a little bit more love from yeah. the public or radio or whatever. But by the way, that inst- that instrument that you loved so much, the be- it's just a keyboard. <laughs> That's all no, it is. Is it really? <laughs> yeah, it's just a keyboard. It's just been programmed to have that like little tinkly sound to it. Ah, well, the more you know. <laughs> do, 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 do. All right. Anything else right. there? Moving on. Moving on. All right. Our next song on the album is yet another standard written originally by Irving Berlin. I mean, when you think Christmas and Christmas standards, you think Irving Berlin. It is White Christmas. And this was the first song that was recorded for the Wrapped in Red project. While uh, Every Christmas might have been the song that was the first to be written. This was the first one that they actually put down on tape for the album. And... This, Pam, is technically the first single from Wrapped in Red. I actually, this I do have written down. So this was released a few days before Underneath the Tree yep. to the public. It was uh, technically a promo single released online and Underneath the Tree came three days later. Yeah, they put the uh, the video out for Underneath the Tree, and then I think uh, RCA figured out what they had, and they're like, oh, never mind. Forget about that cover. Let's play this new one instead. 
So yes, uh, technically, if you want to be very, very picky about it, White Christmas is the first single off of Wrapped in Red, followed by Underneath the Tree. But I think we all know that history got rewritten and Underneath the Tree was crowned the first single from the album. Uh, This is the best-selling song of all time. Um, Not for Kelly Clarkson. I was like, not Kelly's, but in general. (laughs) No, in general, uh, just the Bing Crosby version, which is the, I mean, it's the ultimate version. Just his version sold 50 million copies. The next closest song is 33 million copies. Now, that said, this song has been out for 70 years plus. So it's had a little bit of a head start over everybody else. But if you were to wrap in all of the other cover versions of this song and add them to Bing Crosby's version, this song has sold over 100 million copies. And I mean, that is just an astronomical number that no other song is going to accomplish. I mean, it's it's just not going to happen. Uh, everybody and their brother has recorded this song. And like I said, Bing Crosby's version is the gold standard. It is the version, the one that we originally hear in like Holiday Inn. This is the the ultimate version. But then you've got uh, Michael Buble. Uh, obviously, Kelly's version is a really great version. But Pam, only one person got White Christmas to number one. I don't you know. know. Who it is? No. If you had to make a wild guess as to who could have possibly had the chops to take a classic song like White Christmas to number one, I believe it's either, I can't remember if it was on the holiday charts or on the adult contemporary charts, but either way, they took it to number one. Who do you think it might be? Okay. I'm not going to fully cheat. I just don't know who's done this. So I'm just going to look up a list of people who've done this and we'll see if I can guess. Okay. Okay. So I'm assuming it was not like Bing Crosby. It was not Bing Crosby. That said, though, they didn't keep charts back then, so chances oh. are he would have. Was it Taylor Swift? It was not Taylor Swift. All right. I'll do one more guess. Uh, <laughs> was it Pentatonix? I don't know. It was not Pentatonix. I have no idea. There's so many versions. Probably not somebody that you would think that would take a song like this and take it to number one. Megan Trainer. No way. Yes way. What? Took it to number one. Wow. Good for her. Megan, Megan Trainer's Christmas record, Slept On. I'm telling you. she. We've mentioned her a couple of times in this episode. Slept On album. I don't know if Kelly's is charted. I'm looking right now, and I don't... I don't believe it did. I don't think it did. Yikes. But it's really good. I love it. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a very, very beautiful version of the song. Yeah. Uh, I mean, she, she sings it very much in the classic way, and... I I love her version. It's it's in part of my holiday rotation of the stuff that I listen to. I have no notes on it. Yeah, me neither. All right, what's what's the next song? Our next song is another one of those songs where I don't understand why it got wrapped into being a Christmas song, and that is My Favorite Things. Uh, this is another standard. It was written by Rodgers and Hammerstein. It was originally put into The Sound of Music. Yep. And there's sort of like two different versions of this song. There is the movie like Julie Andrews version, and then there is the Broadway version. And the Broadway version is actually the version that Kelly does in Wrapped in Red because she specifically 
wanted to stay away from the Julie Andrews version and probably all of the comparisons that would come with it because she has a lot of respect for Julie Andrews. And so she was like, not even getting near it. So they took this down the Broadway route. And again, I don't know why this is considered a Christmas song. It's it first showed up on a Christmas album back in the 1960s. And ever since then, it has been part of the Christmas lexicon, so to speak. And I think it's just because they're talking about packages wrapped up and yeah. tied up with string. And, you know, they're listing, they're like doing basically a Christmas list. Yeah. So I can see where it kind of gets put into there. But at the same time, maybe it was just because this song was so hard to put into a category that they're like, well, they're talking about packages that are all wrapped up and, you know, giving gifts and things that are my favorites. This is obviously a Christmas song. I don't know. It doesn't. There's really no mention of Christmas in it at all. No. So. Meh. <laughs> you it's know, vibey. I, I feel, it's vibey. There are a lot of songs on here that don't necessarily mention Christmas or winter, but it's yeah. like vibey. I don't know. That's a weird thing uh, to say. Again, this is another song that has been covered absolutely to death. Uh, Julie Andrews really has the ultimate version of this song uh, from Sound of Music. But uh, actually, the cast of Glee had a little bit of chart success with their version of this song, as did the Supremes uh, when they recorded this song. And also, a little fun fact, if you know uh, Ariana Grande's song Seven Rings, it actually uses the melody from My Favorite Things. Yep. This did not chart in the U.S. It did chart in Canada and Mexico, but not in the U.S. Um, Weirdly enough, it's one of the top most streamed songs on Wrapped in Red. Interesting. Which is very, I found very surprising. I, I'm wondering if it's just if it's incorporated in a very prominent playlist. I think that could be. It might be because it's not necessarily like the most well known. I mean, I think you can argue other songs are just as well known on here. So I don't know. Might- I think if you were to you know pin me against a wall and tell me to list off all the songs on Wrapped in Red, I would forget about this song. Same. This would be the one I'd forget. Same. I really like it, but totally same. Totally same. Yeah. All right, shall we move on to the next song? Let's move. The next song is a song that I adore. I love it so much. It is Four Carrots. It was written by Kelly, Greg Kirsten, and two other people. Uh, Kathy Dennis, who actually worked on Before Your Love, and Livy Frank, I hope I'm saying that right, who worked mm-hmm. on The War Is Over. So two very random songs that you would not expect to come together, but this was actually not meant to be a Christmas song. It was... Somehow originally supposed to be for Kelly's next album, Fall, I guess, what would have been piece by piece, but they turned yeah. it into a Christmas song, which I'm like, I don't know if they mean like the melody was for the next album, because lyrically, this is so not her vibe, unless you're talking about Christmas. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 They, I mean, they definitely had to change a lot of the lyrics, I think, to make this into more of a Christmas song. Just the idea that this song would have been on piece by piece. I'm just thinking how. I mean, obviously because of the Christmas content, but just, I was trying to imagine like taking out all the Christmas references and being like, so Kelly was just going to put a very materialistic song on piece by piece. I mean, I feel like that song wouldn't have fit the no, vibe of that album at all. Not at all. Um, this did a chart on the Billboard Holiday Digital Songs at number 30, which is pretty impressive considering like there was no promo about this whatsoever. I love this song and I love the intro. I don't know how to explain it, but it's it has some sort of beat and melody to it that really just brings you in. It's almost like, what is this? Because 
the beginning is nothing like the rest of the song. Yeah. Do you get what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's all the, it's all the, the, the programming from Greg Kirsten. Cause again, this is another song on the album where it is Greg and Kelly and that's it. Um, so yeah, he did a lot of the kind of the kind of like what Rachel does for Jason on yeah. the Kelly Clarkson show and does like kind of the background programming noises. That's a lot of what you're hearing at the beginning in the intro of this song. Oh, I love it. Do you have any, uh, any other notes on this? Yeah. You know, Kelly was sort of inspired uh, to write this song based off of two previous songs, one of them being Santa Baby by Eartha Kitt. Because that is a song that, again, kind of gives a Christmas list of all the things she wants, being very materialistic, wanting, you know, very expensive things. And then Kelly also took some inspiration from Madonna's song, Material Girl, which obviously is not a Christmas song, but also, again, talks about wanting the finer things. And so I think this was sort of their version of like updating santa baby and saying you know here are the expensive things that i want in the 21st century and i know that a lot of critics they liked the pop sound of the song and i'm I'm trying i want to i want to get this exactly right because one critic said that he didn't like kelly's voluptuous delivery which yeah which i think she was I think what they're trying to say is that they didn't care for her sort of uppity, um, sensual, sexy delivery of like wanting expensive things. So, so of course the first thing I think of is like, all right, if Kelly's character from the crazy ones decided to write a Christmas (laughs) song, this is the song she wrote. Yes. So this is Kelly changing her image into a, you know, sexy girl who wants all these expensive things, boop, boop, be doop Christmas, you know, that kind of thing. (laughs) You know, I do. I love that. I, you know, one thing I do love in the lyrics, the small nod to her engagement ring, the yellow canary. Uh huh. I just thought there was like kind of a little bit of an Easter egg for anyone who knows what her engagement ring looked like. Yep. I thought it was very, very clever. And if you missed what Kelly's engagement ring looked like, and we'll talk about this near the end of the episode uh, with the album art, uh, it's everywhere. I mean, this is sort of the first album that Kelly got to showcase her engagement slash wedding ring. And boy, does she. It is a rock. (laughs) It is giant. And it is in nearly every picture. Yeah. All right. Moving on. We have the least festive song on the album. One you would say is called Just For Now. It is a cover of a 2005 song by Imogen Heap. If you don't know who Imogen, Imogen Heap is, uh, you may know her song uh, Hide and Seek, which was oh, so good for anyone who was around in the 2000s. You may know it was made very famous from that tragic scene in the OC. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, I'm getting off topic here, but this was a song by it's a, originally by her and um I love it. You know, this is also a, uh, probably one of my favorites on the album just for the song itself, not for the Christmas vibes, but I do love how realistic it is. It's really talking about just how crazy and chaotic and hard the t- holidays can be for a lot of families. It's not yeah. all yay, you know, lights and gifts. It's also like, Oh, trauma. Like my family sucks sometimes. Like it's it's true. And um this is an a prime example of something that could have fit on when Christmas comes around 
for sure. Oh, absolutely. For sure. For sure. For yeah. sure. Um, I did not realize, though, that this actually samples uh, Carol of the Bells. I had no idea. Yeah. And it's just at the beginning of the song. And I think what that does is, in addition to giving it sort of some Christmas cred, I think it gives the song sort of an air of familiarity, like right at the beginning, even though that this song is brand new. You start listening to the song, and you're like, oh, I know this melody. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I know this song. So you go into it in the first like 10 seconds and you think you know the song and then Kelly grabs you and pulls back the curtain and says, Christmas used to suck for me, you know, <laughs> exactly. um, and, you know, it really kind of puts you in a young Kelly's life, you know, coming from a broken home and and, you know, not having a lot of money in you know rural Texas and you kind of get the vibe that she's going for. It, most definitely, it is the least Christmas sounding song on the whole album. Yeah. And, and even, even the critics pointed out like, wow, this was a this was a choice. <laughs> um, but they loved the version, though. I mean, they 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 got that it was an Imogen Heap song and they put the respect on both of their names for this version of the song. And, you know, it's a very unexpected type of a song for a Christmas record. But again, like you said, this is the other song that would have probably fit very nicely on when Christmas comes around. Yeah. Didn't chart, but like, I don't think any of us expected it to. That's fine. Yeah. But yeah, I love this song. Great one. Did get covered by Pentatonix though on one of their Christmas albums. So apparently, yeah, Kelly apparently starting a trend and got an image and heap song into the Christmas lexicon. So we'll see if anybody else is brave enough to cover it. Wow. All right. The next song is technically the last song that's on the standard edition of the album. It is Kelly's cover of Silent Night with Trisha Yearwood and Reba McIntyre. I mean, it's gorgeous. I mean, I feel like we, we definitely spoke about it a bit last week because it's the music video for it is the live performance from the Cautionary Christmas Tale. Um, and they've, they've performed it a few times together. It's just, it's beautiful. It's, it's yeah. so beautiful. I don't really have a lot of notes. Yeah. I mean, look, the, their harmonies are so good together. I, you know, if there was any song that I really wish I could have seen live at either the cautionary Christmas tale show in Vegas or at miracle on Broadway, it would have been this version yeah, uh, or this song rather um, this and underneath the tree would be the two songs I would love to see performed live uh, by the original players. Just a beautiful, beautiful version. And again, you know, silent night is, is an old German song from like the 1800s. It's been covered by a million people. Uh, Elvis Presley had, you know, probably one of the more prominent versions uh, Josh Groban had a great version. The Temptations did a great version. Uh, it's it's hard to find somebody who hasn't covered this song at some point. I think a lot of people learn it in school or, you know, wherever you church or wherever. I mean, a lot of people sing this song. Um, and it's just a, a beautiful version by three incredibly talented women. Yeah. This charted on the Billboard Holiday Digital Songs chart at number one, rightfully so. It's so good. Yep. And uh, this ended up actually on Reba's Christmas album a couple years later. Yeah, which is really great. I mean, I mean that says something for what Reba thought of the final product of the song in that she wanted to put it on her Christmas album as well. Yeah. All right. Now we are going into the final two songs on the album, which appeared on the deluxe version. The first one, I know Jeremy loves this. Has a, I feel like you definitely have told your story about this song. Oh, yeah. Uh, it is her cover of I'll Be Home for Christmas, which originally showed up on the 2011 iTunes session EP. It's, you know, it's a classic and 
it's one of the first Christmas songs she ever did. You know, originally she did a recording of this song and sent it to her mom and as sort of a gift for her that, you know, I think this was in the height of the all I ever wanted era where, you know, she wanted to let her know, Hey, I'm coming home for Christmas and here's a little gift from me to you. And then a few years later, uh, she records it for the iTunes session and does an absolutely beautiful version. We should also note that because this is a pre-existing song, um, this is the only appearance on the entire album of Jason Halbert, A.N.R. Peterson, Miles McPherson, and Leif Shires, who was the trumpet player on the All I Ever Wanted tour. Um, this is their only appearance as musicians on this album. Everything else, as far as music- musicians is concerned, is primarily Greg Kirsten. Um, but again, obviously, that would be the reason, because this song was recorded uh, two years prior to the album coming out. So at least we get a little bit of the OG touring crew uh, here on this album. But yeah, you know, we've talked about this song. I've told my story a hundred times. So yeah, I love that they put it on here. And I guess, you know, now that I think about it, Kelly has now set a trend for putting out a Christmas album and then adding some additional stuff that she picked up along the way. Yeah. It happened with the last one as well. Kind of surprised. I mean, maybe it doesn't surprise me that she didn't put the uh, grown up Christmas list and Oh, Holy Night. But I mean, those songs at this point, when she put out Wrapped in Red, those two songs were 10 years old. Yeah. Maybe she didn't want to put, you know, songs that were that far back in her career on an album that she was putting out fresh. Exactly. Uh, this actually charted on the Billboard Hot 200, which is impressive. It, it, it wasn't high. It was at number 85. But the fact that a Christmas mm-hmm. song was on like the the chart, it's pretty good. Yeah. Um, the last song is a very short song. Um, admittedly, I very rarely ever listen to this, and I kind of forgot what it sounded like, so I'm, I had to re-listen. <laughs> it's her cover of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Arguably, it's mainly instrumental. Um, yeah. It's it's good. It's very good. It's very haunting. The bass on that is insane. Oh, my God. Yeah. I don't. It's very haunting. I don't really have a lot of comments, but it's a good closer. Yeah, it's part of an old Christmas hymn for for a Christian hymn rather for Christmas time and like during Advent. I mean, it, it's probably I would say it's probably the most religious song that, and it's really, I mean, it's just it's a portion of it uh, that is on the entire album. I mean, yeah, she's got you know some religious undertones on the album because it's a Christmas album, right? But this is probably the most heavily. Uh, religious part of the entire album and it's also you know a very very small piece of it uh, I mean this is not the only time that this song has been put out there U2 uh, did it Sufjan Stevens did it Bell and Sebastian Bad Religion did a version of this song it was like an upbeat rock version so if you can imagine that go for it uh, a punk band did it so it's not uncommon for it to be covered it's extremely old I think it dates back to the 1800s so it's the absolute definition of a traditional standard, but uh, yeah, it's kind of a, a, a peaceful uh, calming end to the record. Um, it, I mean, look, it's, if there's anything I'm skipping on the album, it's this one yeah. because there's, there's just not a lot of meat to it. Um, I, I don't obviously don't mind uh, religious songs around the holiday season, but um, there's just, I mean, it's, I don't know. It's hard to say. It's like it's not a song. You know, it doesn't have a hook. It's like you know, a minute and a glass of wine. It's like a little little interlude. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, a little little interlude for Jesus. A little interlude for Jesus. <laughs> I love that. Um, 
before we wrap up, I think Jeremy, you want you wanted to very briefly talk about the album art. Um, yeah, and the whole photo shoot. Uh, the photography was done by Jeremy Cowart, who I think did also did the piece by piece uh, fo- mm-hmm. photo shoot. Um, she looks stunning. Like I think this is one of her best photo shoots she has. Yes, everything is red, but a lot of her outfits are very varying throughout. And I just think she looks so stunning and she looks cozy and glam at the same time. I love it. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it says and screams Christmas, you know, it's, it's, it's not as like flashy and in your face as some of the, uh, the other photo shoots have been like, say for like all I ever wanted, or uh, I would even, I would even say like the stronger photo shoot was, you know, a bit more glam and, you know, definitely like high fashion, if you will. Uh, there's, you know, maybe only one or two photos in the entire photo shoot that I would say are like, you know, high fashion type of shots. The other are just very cute, uh, you know, very appropriate photos for a Christmas album. Yeah. And the art direction, you know, with the uh, with the liner notes is is very good. The, the one picture I always sort of feel like was a little it was a little like, unlike all the other photos, you know, it's the, the whole, you know, one, one of these things is not like the other. And that was the photo they used for the back cover, uh, where the, the song titles are, is that she's got the scarf sort of wrapped around her head and they got all this fake snow on her. And she's got this like white eyeliner, which you know, I love this photo. I love it. It's a cute photo, but it's, it's like the one photo that is different from all of the others. It's like it was taken on a completely separate day. Yeah. You know, where they like had to completely change up her makeup, uh, you know, to make it look like she was nearing the edge of frostbite. So, <laughs> you know, celebrate my my Christmas time with this album before I freeze to death. <laughs> you would. Anyway, we're going to wrap this up because we've been talking all my probably close almost to two hours. So if you listen this far, yeah. give yourself a pat on the back and we thank you. Hey! And we thank you for listening to us for the last almost two hours. Um, so that was our wrapped in red album breakdown. I hope you enjoyed it. And um, oh my gosh, we only have one more episode for this year. We do, and it's our annual year-end wrap-up of all the things that we have done this year on Missing the Podcast, and there have been a lot of really great, fun, exciting things that has happened in the last year, so we'll have a lot to talk about. Absolutely. As always, uh, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Miss Into Podcast. Let us know what your favorite song from the album is, what you thought of the episode, et cetera, et cetera. If you listen on Spotify on the app, please leave, uh, consider leaving us a rating. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please consider leaving us a rating and or review. Um, we will be back next week, as Jeremy said, with our year in review for 2022. And uh, we hope you guys have a great week. Bye. Bye, guys. Happy holidays. You've been listening to Miss Indie Podcast, the Kelly Clarkson fan podcast. Miss Indie Podcast was written and produced by Jeremy and Pam. Remember to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so you'll be the first to know when a new podcast is posted. Continue the conversation by following the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Miss Indie Podcast. Send us your questions and comments to Miss Indie Podcast at gmail.com.